That made a lot of rounds. That uh, went viral. People singing outside of Notre Dame Cathedral last night in France. Yeah, and uh, the the terrible fire is tragic on a number of different levels. It occurs at a really interesting, pivotal time in uh, French history. Uh, and Ian Bremer, president and founder of the Eurasia Group, uh, who better to discuss this with? Uh, the Eurasia Group, the leading global political risk research and consulting firm on Earth. Ian, welcome. How are you, sir? Gentlemen, good to be with you. So, listen, we're we're both uh, international relations freaks around here, um, and and have been watching France with great interest. The Yellow Vest movement and the the violence and the the growing Islamic population and the tension there. I've read submission. Right, yeah, and 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 then Notre Dame Cathedral burns down in the midst of a heck of a lot of unrest. Uh, how does that fit in? Do you think it will have effects? I've read submission as well. First of all, that's a that's a great intro, right? Because I think we should probably let the audience know about it. Um, was number one book in France uh, fiction a few years ago, and it was about what would happen if France became this dystopian government controlled by Islamic radicals. I, and I found the book remarkably subtle in its predictions too. It's 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 very matter of fact. Um, but anyway. Uh, how does that factor in? It factors in because France is having a terrible time of it. Even the context of Europe, which is not experiencing a lot of economic growth and has had all of this populism and nationalism, it's been worse in France. I mean, you remember the Charlie Edbo killings. There's been a lot of terrorist violence uh, since November. Every weekend, you've had these yellow vest movements on the streets in Paris and in other cities and a lot of violence and you know, I mean, I wish you could say that yesterday was the only time we saw Paris in flames, but, you know, the Champs-Élysées uh, a few weeks ago was in flames, and, I mean, you know, massive amounts of damage being done, and tourism into France has taken an enormous hit. It's hurting the economy. So this has been a really challenging time, and, and the president, Macron, had his approval ratings pushed down into the low 20s um, as a consequence of it. Um, and, uh, and then on top of that, yesterday you see, you know, France's, I mean, most certainly, I mean, that, the Eiffel Tower, I mean, the most recognizable um, monuments in the country, critical to national identity, and, uh, and, and you see the spire coming down. So, I mean, obviously, the collective gut punch to this nation was extraordinary. Um, and yet, there's actually a real silver lining here. Well, I want to hear that. Well, which is that it gives Macron an opportunity to be a leader again, to bring the country together again. I mean, it's this is not 9-11 for France, obviously, and thank God for that. But still, it's something where the people, for a moment feel unified. This is something that they together are all going to rebuild, and Macron can lead that moment, and yeah, he gave an inspiring mean. speech yesterday. Because, thank God, it was an accident, um, They can everybody can get behind it. That's right, and it, nobody died, and by the way, the thing is still standing. So, I mean, they can actually rebuild it. It's not getting raised to the ground, and this weekend, I mean, the funny thing is yesterday, Macron... I don't know if you guys were following this, but Macron has for the last two months been doing this grand listening tour where he's literally gone from town to town to town and spent hours upon hours at a time listening um, to um, the complaints of mostly older French citizens, but a pretty wide demographic um, swath. 
And then he's been responding and he was about to give his big speech where he was going to outline where what he was going to do, how the country was going to move forward. And the the yellow vest had already, before even hearing what he was going to say, had already rejected it, and they were going to have bigger demonstrations this weekend. Well, now, obviously, he canceled that speech. And either the yellow vests are going to, they should, cancel their demonstrations, um, in which case there's some time for Macron to actually build some momentum for something constructive in the country, because, I mean, he's the one with a, with a positive agenda, whether it's you know, whether it's uh, popular or not, the, the yellow vests are, are just reacting and negative and, and tearing things down. Or they decide to continue with their demonstrations this weekend and they will lose a tremendous amount of support. So, I mean, either way, frankly, this could end up being the kick in the pants that the French people and the French president really need. Ian Bremmer, president and founder of Eurasia Group, on the line. Tell us a little more about the Yellow Vest movement. I've heard you say that they're not in favor of anything. They're just kind of generalized complaining. But do they have an animating cause, a particular issue, yeah, a, I was a wrong gonna, they need righted? I was going to ask if you could put the, the France's, whatever they got going on right now, in any context that we understand in America. It's like the conservatives and liberals or legal immigration or just some context we get. Yeah, I can. If you remember back when we had the old WTO meetings in Seattle, and there were these massive anti-globalization protesters that remember they they were uh, you know sort of destroying Starbucks and sure. things like that, right? But I mean, so it was this big group of angry, mostly young people. There were save the whales types. There were anti-nuclear um, weapons and anti-nuclear power types. There were hard committed anarchists. There was anti-free trade movement. I mean, there were a, a, a list of grievances as long as your arm, um, but there was no leadership and there was no agenda that they particularly agreed on. And they were from the fringes of both the far left, the far right, and frankly, a bunch of nihilists too. And that's kind of what the Yellow Vest movement is like. They're people that are deeply upset at the establishment, such as you can define them. Yikes. But imagine if you took AOC and Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump and then Alex Jones and a bunch of others for good measure and just threw them all together and say, let's, let's see what we get. Um, well, I'll tell you, one, one thing they're not going to get is they're not going to be very successful in European elections, which they're standing for um, in May. And Macron already looked like he was probably going to pick up a little bit as a consequence. Boy, it's interesting. I was reading about the French Revolution last night, just coincidentally, uh, in a different book. And, um, you know, the the history around the world of people just being angry at what is and mm-hmm. just angry. I'm going to tear stuff down and I want things to be different, and particularly in France. It's. It's a little troubling about where it could go. Yeah, but the, the society also has a lot more history and a lot more tolerance of significant social demonstrations. I mean, you know, anyone that tries to travel by plane to France um, has, on several occasions over the last 20 years, had to deal with nationwide pilot strikes and, um, and, uh, and worker strikes. Um, you go back to uh, the 60s, and I mean, the, the real, the violence before it came to the U.S., before it came to the U.K., um, it was the Sorbonne. Uh, I mean, the, this, this is where you had um, serious grassroots street protests that broke into, um, broke into riots. Um, and, you know, as I said, over the course of the past months, I mean, you, frequently you would see lots of cars being set on fire. I mean, the kind of thing that brings us back to the L.A. riots in the United States not not really 
considered all that exceptional or unusual in France. It's kind of the way people protest. So, I mean, in that regard, there's a lot of resilience in France. There's a lot of institutional capacity to accept things that we would consider to be revolutionary and sort of move on. If if you if I were going to be opening a subsidiary in France and I said to you, Ian Bremmer, listen, I've, I've heard there's a lot of uh, tension between Muslim immigrants and, and, and other French people in the government. What's going on there? How would you describe it to me? Um, it's certainly true that the anti-immigrant sentiment in France is very high. Um, about 6% of the population is Muslim, which is quite high in the context of um, a, a quote-unquote Western society. In the United States, it's more like 1%. Um, and when you ask the French what the percentage is, they respond, it's a third. Mm, and, I mean, which is crazy. It's like, well, where, where, where would you keep these people, right? But there is this sense, and this is what came from this book, Submission, right? right. There is this sense that the Muslims are everywhere. They live together. They don't integrate they don't speak proper French. They don't make proper baguettes. They don't understand French culture. And we don't want them. And they've been coming over in very large numbers, right? Um, and, you know, some of this is the response to France's colonial past, where they, you know, sort of took over a lot of the, a, lot, a decent swath of Africa. Um, and, uh, and now those, a lot of those citizens um, have the opportunity to come to France and live and work. Some of them very successfully, a lot of them not very successfully. How, how and, um, uh, final question as we run out of time, how active is the fake news business or the conspiracy world there in France, as in, is there a chunk of the population that will believe it was yellow vesters, no matter what the authorities say, that set a fire in the cathedral? Or is there a chunk of the population that would believe the government did it to make Muslims look bad or whatever, you know, that sort of thing? Uh, I would say it's no worse than the United States. I well, mean, that's, we've not seen... that's not a very kind thing to say. Um, yeah, I get it. But at the same time, I mean, most Americans are not predisposed to conspiracy theories. Sure. This is not like Egypt. It's not like Russia. Um, but I would also it's not say India where the you, they think you get a phone call and your testicles are going to fall off or whatever that rumor was for a while. Well, I, mean, I, I think that, but it's a different story. Um, you That's know, why I never I answer my one phone. One call from you guys. Um, can't take two. Uh, I already gave one to capitalism. But, but um, you know, when, when, when you ask... When you ask where um, the French are going, let's also recognize the Russians are, have played a very significant role in disinformation and funding um, of the Yellow Vest movement and of the National Front in France. And that is something people in America don't talk much about. Wow. That is a great uh, final note and one to follow up on uh, at some point in the future. Ian Bremer, president and founder of Eurasia Group. Ian, hey, thanks a million for the time. We know how busy you are. Sure. May your testicles stay intact. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. you. And That's a the good same sign to you off. and yours. That's a good sign. I might just put yeah. that at the bottom of my emails from here on out. Wow. So a couple of thoughts <laughs> uh, to recap. If you two boys are done with your little jokes, um, uh, the Russia note at the end is absolutely worth pointing out. Putin is trying as hard as he can to help France disintegrate. Um, a second note on the whole 6%, but you ask a lot of French people how many Muslims there are, uh, there are and they say 25% or 30%. Wow. That would be easy, easy to um, to say that's paranoia or anti-immigrant um, uh, bias, whatever. Uh, I would make the counterpoint, and this may not necessarily be true, but it's worth considering that that 6% has an outsized influence and has caused change beyond their numbers. Sure, oh, absolutely. Absolutely, as it has in this country. Right. With introducing a different language and everything. Right.
You can you can talk about the percentages, or you can talk about, for instance, just illegal immigration in the United States. The 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 change that it's done in your school or your ER right is beyond the percentage of the population. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, that, that whole 6%, 30% is, is really, really interesting, but I don't think it's as simple as some people might do you recommend? Do you recommend the book Submission? I do to anybody. I think I it's do. so damned interesting. Absolutely. It's, it's great. It wasn't what I expected it to be. It's incredibly reasonable. By a guy named Welbeck, spelled with an H. Look it up. You'll find it. What? Albeck. <laughs> um, you're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Uh, statistics are in the premiere of Game of Thrones last night uh, this final season drew 17 million viewers 17 million viewers 17 million viewers unfortunately for HBO they were all using the same password (laughs) (laughs) flawed business model (laughs) Uh, looking at the first pictures from inside Notre Dame Cathedral and uh, well it's horrible but like what you'd expect. Wow. wow. Lots of lots of burnt up stuff that was would literally be priceless. My early reaction when I first saw the flames and all the smoke, I was like, that's that's gonna be down to the studs. I'm 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 actually quite happy that there's stuff left over at at all. Yeah, and I understand there's some really heroic uh, efforts to save various artifacts and documents and the rest of it. I'm sure there was. There's been a a fair amount of conversation about the response, the firefighter's response. Yeah. uh, And they say they did fine. I don't know. I wasn't there. It didn't look like they were doing anything on TV, though. Just generally in the United States, when you see a firefighter response, there's trucks everywhere, there's hoses going, there's all this, helicopters, and there just was, you couldn't see any of that on the TV coverage. Right, yeah, and there were all sorts of rumors that there was not a drop of water sprayed for two and a half hours, which I later heard was bunk, but I guess there were enormous logistical difficulties because the cathedral's on on a little island. And the streets were crowded with people. and But the first 24 hours, you hear so much stuff that turns out not to be true. Hey, we haven't read Trump's. Do you have Trump's tweet that he tweeted about it yesterday? <laughs> with the, the advice? Yeah, while Joe's talking, we'll look for the Trump's Just tweet. One quick follow-up about the, uh, the book submission by what's his name? The French Wellbeck, guy. spelled with an H. How, holla back, girl. Um, the ending was so weird for me. And, you know, correct me if you if you didn't see it this way. This is about France is the reason we're talking. Yeah, about. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's about France and the growing Islamic presence in France and, and the changes that brings in the eventual Muslim government um, is how quietly everybody kind of acquiesced to the new reality. Well, hence the title submission. That, right. That's a multi-layered title, but part right. of it is just people are just kind of, eh, okay. But not like submission tapping out in an MMA bout. Submission like, uh, 
Hmm. And and part I guess of it this is, is how it is. It's it's a fantastic book, and it, and and it, it it could be you know what's going on in the United States too. It, well, it's what's going on in Western civilization. But part of it is you've got an aggressive religion or culture, or they're tied together yes. in Islam, and you've got a receding, eh, we don't want to offend anybody, eh, we don't have much steam anymore, Western civilization Christianity. Well said. And that's just the way Pat Buchanan got run out of media years ago for talking about this, but he's written several books about it. It's the history of the world. Sure. The aggressive culture young takes, and hungry. Young and hungry takes over the, the, the aging, receding culture. Look Particularly if the receding culture has convinced itself that it is not legitimate and should be ashamed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that, and that, this book is set in the future in France, and that's what eventually happens there. Could happen in the United States. Uh, Trump's tweet when the fire broke out from yesterday. We'll read that coming up. What do you got in your news, Marshall? Well, we've also got Trump weighing in on Bernie on Fox, the owner of the company working on the Notre Dame uh, restoration, speaking out, and who lies most on their resumes. Liars. That's what I'd point good my guess. I'd point my fingers Solid at. Solid guess. Point my fingers at the liars. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. We should bring this back up again. We talked about it at a different point in the show. New York Times with an article yesterday about how most people, by far, the vast majority, yeah, got a tax cut out of Trump's tax overhaul. But most people don't think so. At virtually every level of income, half as many people understood their taxes were lowered as were. It was remarkably uh, uniform. We will revisit that coming up, but... So we said, um, why is Trump not tweeting about this? Like, he should send out 10 tweets right. about, look at these statistics about the Trump tax cut. Instead, yesterday, after we all started seeing the smoke coming out of uh, Notre Dame Cathedral on cable news, Donald Trump tweeted this. So horrible to watch the massive fire at Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Perhaps flying water tankers could be used to put it out. Must act quickly! Exclamation point. That is an <laughs> old guy watching TV and tweeting. <laughs> I think he nailed it. Perhaps flying water <laughs> tankers could be used to put it out. Oh, indeed. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's charming in a way. So there are two kind of silly things that flew around yesterday in watching the, the gorgeous and ancient cathedral burn, which is an odd thing to say. But number one, um, and, and I think we were talking about this off the air, but... How is the thing burning? It's made of stone. Then it turns out that there are 13,000 trees worth of lumber supporting the lead roof. So there's more wood in it than you could imagine. And I had no idea of that. None. And then then it was, it looks like, and the president said this, it looks like it's going to burn to the ground. Well, most of it is built of stone, so that's not true either. I just thought it was funny. But yeah, the amount of lumber is spectacular, and they use mostly trees that were three or four hundred years old because they were big enough to yield the length of beams that they needed. Um, so you think about that. I mean, trees that dated from, you know, the 11, 12, 1300s, whatever, to repair this church that was built at the same time. They had good trees back then. And the, the whole lead roof thing, it's got to be a tad heavy. How it's does- fire-resistant. 
How does it survive plagues and a couple of world wars and 30 years wars and all these different sorts of things that happen? I know. It's mind-boggling, isn't and, it? And, and candles and, and pre-modern electricity and just all those things. And then now, when we've got the greatest sprinkler system, smoke detectors, firefighting, this and that. Right. Just the, the electrical systems in general, if indeed that was a contributor and they don't know. Was it some a-hole not paying attention to where his blowtorch was going or what? Has anybody explained that? I don't know. I'm guessing spark off a sawzall. Could so, be. Something like that. Some Could sort of, be. Some sort of renovation thing that they were doing and it, it, it Then they went some... for lunch yeah. and it smoldered. Yeah, who knows? They get like six and a half hours for lunch in France. <laughs> so, yeah, I wonder. Let's get the news now with Marshall Phillips. Well, along those lines, the British paper The Daily Mail is reporting the construction boss whose company was renovating Notre Dame before the fire broke out has previously boasted about his firm's ability to protect historic sites. 32-year-old Julian Labra declared last year, Our first thoughts is to protect the values of historical buildings. It's in our DNA. His company, Labra Friere, Frere, a small company known as the Cathedral Restorers, won the $5 million contract to repair the spire of the Paris landmark. You name a publicly traded, I'd sell their stock now. (laughs) I like naming your company the Cathedral Restorers. We make it very clear what we do. Sure. This is what I do. My garage roof is sagging. No, no, we do not do that. Call the sagging garage roof repairs. That's who you call for that. My kitchen is out of date. I wonder if you fellas could stop by, idiot. <laughs> no. <laughs> Today, the craftsmen from the company were being questioned by investigators after the spire came crashing down during the horrific blaze. Investigators think the fire started in the roof cavity below the spire where the work, which included the use of electric tools, was being carried out. How did they so? I said, "Oh Lord Jesus, it's a fire." How did they so? A French woman there. How did they so quickly? Because I heard this last night. How did they so quickly rule out either terrorism or arson or something when they've had fires all over the country? Right. Set by arsonists. I wonder if they knew. They uh, they knew and spoke affirmatively and said, "This is what happened." Could be to the authorities. President Trump appears... Mrs. O'Leary's cow. I'll bet that's what it was. Could be, stupid cow. President Trump appears to be going after Fox News for its handling of the town hall with Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders. I saw this tweet, and I'm a little confused by it. Go ahead. Trump tweeting, So weird to watch crazy Bernie on Fox News. Not surprisingly, Brett Baer in the audience was so smiley and nice. Very strange. And now we have Donna Brazil as an analyst. End of tweet. So what's the not surprisingly the crowd and Brett Bear were so smiling and nice? Is that a, is that a Brett Bear's a lefty? I don't know what that is. That sounds like it. I mean, does he think Fox has gone They've lefty? Gone left. Now they've liberals. hired Donna Brazil. Clearly, they're just MSNBC. Okay. I don't know. Controversy just tires know, my hiney out. I don't know really why does. they hired Donna Brazil. I really don't. I she's think she, awful, for one. She brings nothing to the table, and she's a liar. Bernie did speak. I'll tell you, it was a pretty good conversation. It was interesting right. on a number of levels. Right. He did speak more openly than I've ever heard him speak before about how the Democratic Party rigged it against him. Mm. Without blaming, he just kind of offhandedly mentioned several times, right. well, they're not going to do it the way they did it in 2016 when this happened, this happened, this happened. Because he got just screwed. 
yep. in that whole process. Yeah, Fix he, was in. He was the mirror opposite of of Trump in that. He was the the populist guy who was filling up the stadiums, who had all the energy beside it, and they that that the DNC took that matchup away from the the voting populace. And as he said on Fox last night, he said, and Hillary started before we even got to Iowa with 313 superdelegates. Right. Right. According to a new survey, millennials tend to lie the most on their resumes. Lying millennials. Go banking rates. That's what I call them. LMs. GoBankingRates.com surveyed more than a thousand individuals of various age groups and found for the most part people tell the truth on their resumes. Suckers. 5% 5% admitted to lying, with millennials being twice as likely to lie at almost 12%. I don't know. What what what, what kind of lie are we talking about here? And 15% of the millennials who said they didn't lie, they were lying to the surveyors on this <laughs> right. one. Oh, my God. What level of lie are we talking about? 40% though? of people said they lied about their work experience. Yep, done that. 31% of people said they lied about their dates of employment. Well, uh-huh. so, but an exaggerate. Everybody... Uh, colors their work experience in the most positive way. Is that a lie? Well, wait a minute. Lying about the dates of your employment? Well, that's not coloring. That's lying. No, I'm talking about the description of your work experience. Oh, oh, well, it's spin. Yeah. Sure. Uh, Matt, Matt, they're all a lie if you want to be completely fair about it, isn't it? I, mean, I don't you, know. You, Where spin becomes a lie is a gray area. 16% of oh, people. Oh, sure. I was. Per- I put everything in quotes. I was productive. <laughs> people loved me. <laughs> Sixteen percent of the people lied. I about, left on my own. Sixteen percent of people lied about their job titles. Uh huh. Fifteen percent. Wow. I was, I was the manager. Using my finger quotes yes, again. Yes, I host the show. I'm Fif- batting a thousand so far. Keep going, Marsh. Fifteen percent lied about references. Yep. And eleven percent about their college education. Those were the most I have common. Never, that's I have the one I want to start. Yeah. Although I have no reason to have a resume at this point. Probably soon enough. But I've never done that. But why oh, wouldn't you do that? Oh, since, I am so going since to. Since the whole thing's a stupid scam anyway. To a large extent. What, the whole college thing? Yeah. To a large extent? Yeah. yeah okay. So why, why wouldn't Depends you? Depends on your field. But yeah. Why was, wouldn't you? Well, yeah, don't claim you've <laughs> yeah. got a medical degree if you don't. For yeah, instance. I'm a medical doctor, yes. I was a Yale fencer and a USC water polo player. <laughs> My parents paid $500,000 to get me in under those titles. I mean, why wouldn't I claim to have some advanced degree? There's no reason I've spent not my to. entire adult life reading. I know as much as, as some master's do idiot. Kn- do you know less than somebody who does have a master's in something? No. I don't think so. No. no I guarantee and, you not. And, and I would argue, and I'm not talking about me per se, but right. all of us, all of us listening, we have channeled our learning mostly toward practical knowledge surviving in a, in the world right jack and i were talking earlier about you know with the definition of socialism and man i sat right. through hours and hours weeks months years of political theory classes about different political systems mm-hmm. then you get out into the real world and it's like you've been in a zoology class <laughs> that's describing griffins and 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 what's the half man half uh, horse thing a centaur exactly Eskimos. I mean, oh, centaurs. Realize, wait a minute those things don't <laughs> exist in the wild All right, that is your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show. This exists in the world. And and, and platypuses and other creatures that have never lived. Platypuses were around. Oh, come on. They were around. (laughs) I've fallen for (laughs) that. They roamed the earth. Oh, you know, speaking of Squawky in the animal kingdom, um,. Let me see how quickly I can come up with this. Nobody else in America is going with the platypuses are made up take today. Oh, you believe that they exist? (laughs) Fool. Uh, Some guy pointing out that, guys, I got really bad news for you. Squawky uh, does not sound like an eagle. Listen, 
squawky. Play the squawky sound. Again. That's what an eagle should sound That's like. That's exactly what our national bird should sound like. Bald eagles actually sound like seagulls. It's terrible. So, yes. Yes, we've had a red-tailed hawk voice over the squawky script. It's like, you know, the guy who played Darth Vader probably sounded like this. So they had James Earl Jones do the voice. Same thing. Right. Thanks, squawky. Let your cry for freedom ring from coast to coast. And all the fake states, too, like Alaska. We're not on in Alaska? We have a lot of people. We're not. (laughs) We have plenty of people listening online. I don't know. I lose track. (laughs) And I hope they spit their whatever they're drinking. (laughs) You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So we are getting quite a few texts from those of you who feel like Fox has gone lefty for a couple of different reasons. Um, well, Shepard Smith is an avowed leftist centrist. I mean, it's pretty obvious. It's, uh, that's an odd relationship. Well, fine, but that's a completely different topic than they had Bernie on for a town hall. Mm-hmm. So that's a sign that Fox is going left. That's ridiculous. They, they, Brett Baer particularly has had Democratic candidates on as long as I've been watching him. Right. He has on all the candidates he, that he can get on to discuss running for president. And finally, somebody asks them tough questions. That's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. I'm concerned Fox is going further left after the Disney Fox merger. We got this one. <laughs> Fox News was not part of the Disney Fox merger, but go ahead. Fox News has been taken over by Murdoch's leftist son, Lachlan. Well, that may be. I don't know. All right. Uh, other texts we got. Michael Savage's. We don't usually promote other shows, but mm. I wish I had heard this. I might seek out the podcast myself. Michael Savage's Monday show covering the Notre Dame fire. You have to check it out. Oh. I'll bet that was awesome. Shout out to Dr. Savage yeah. and his family. Always been very, very good to us. Uh, good dude. Yep. Oh, I wanted to read this to you just because it was in the New York Times yesterday. And it should be getting more attention. I don't know if Trump's tweeted it out or not. You probably got a tax cut, is the headline in the New York Times. If you're an American taxpayer, you probably got a tax cut last year, and there's a good chance you don't believe it. To a large degree, the gap between perception and reality on the tax cuts appears to flow from a sustained and misleading effort by liberal opponents of the law to brand it as a broad middle-class tax increase. The message stuck. That's from the New York Times danged times yeah that's amazing broad and misleading effort to convince you that your taxes went up and so through all kinds of different categories of taxpayers like people who make between 50 and seventy-five thousand dollars, or 75 to 100 and 100 almost all of those around 80 to 85 percent of that crowd got a tax cut only about 40 percent of them believe they got a tax cut that's just so amazing it's amazing that the new york times published that too um but refreshing thank you so that's interesting. So that's a real messaging mistake from the uh, from the president. I know I didn't get a tax cut. I paid a lot more. Skeptical is probably the wrong word, but I am very aware of any sort of 
polling that has to do with politics where the results are almost directly down the lines of what Trump's approval ratings are. I, I, okay. I, I I've always it, wondered that going through variety of presidents and how, how much of that is just the people that will always back that. I, I find it uh, entirely possible that there are those people who got a small tax break or just aren't necessarily paying enough to really notice the tax break who just reflexively say, no way, that didn't help me, and, and are just answering polls in an effort to be like, no, Trump's tax cut did not benefit me. And if or, well, this isn't they, polling, though. This is actually looking at the... No, the, they, they ask people. Okay. So the, the first part is the just the doing the math on the various incomes. So that part then, is not subject to what I'm talking about. No. Okay. But, nope. but then the just asking accounting. people of whether or not they, their taxes went up, that certainly could be some baked-in politics on one side or the other. And in every category of income, roughly half the people who got tax cuts thought they did. And the other half thought they did not. Which and the country is split really... almost exactly 50-50. Right. Does that mean anything? I don't know. I don't know. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Exactly. Like I said, I don't. I don't know. I'm just aware of that, and it makes me go, "Huh." Anytime that I hear those sort of polling results, that that you become cynical. Putin got to you. You're <laughs> a tool of Putin. You Putin tool. <laughs> oh, the old Putin tool. <laughs> oh no. Is that what started the fire? We got this text. The Putin tool. Maybe they were using that up in the attic there at Notre Dame. Uh, construction fires are typically, according to somebody who knows, welding related due to not protecting items from heat near the weld. Dude welds uh, near a piece of wood, for instance, and it catches on fire. Two, electric sparks from high-voltage breakers or circuits. Or three, chemicals not managed well. In other words, some asshat spills solvent, his uh, sawzall sparks it, and then rags go up. And Huh. So that's somebody who claims to be an expert in that saying that's the most likely cause. All seems reasonable. I think the only way you could nail down as fast as they did that it was not terrorism or arson was your scenario of... You got a couple of guys on a crew, and the one guy did do one of those things. Fire starts. Oh, my God, they try to put it out. Next thing you know, they're calling and saying, I can't get this fire out. Right. Yeah, somebody ran out and said, oh, my God, the blank caught on fire. My saw's all sparked or whatever. Right. And, and and so they know. Jeez, imagine living with that. Oy. Hello, Elizabeth Holmes here, wearing <laughs> a sensible black turtleneck. I figure staked Armstrong and Getty. <laughs> And now here's their final thoughts with the results. So did we go back to back on that one just because we liked it? Or? I just thought it was funny. It is yeah. funny. Here's your host, Joe Getty. Let's get a final thought from everybody, huh? Michelangelo, your final thought? Yeah, the uh, cathedral fire is an excellent reminder to never treat a grease fire with water. Just uh, use a powdery substance or unwanted blanket to extinguish the flames. Or don't. I, I don't care. Do what's best with your family. <laughs> Marshall Phillips, final thoughts. I'm going to tell you, I'm having some terrible flashbacks. Remember when I bought a table and the parts for the table laid on my living room rug for two years while I was trying to put it together? Indeed, legendary. Well, we I'm, talk about it all the time. I'm having kind of the same problem with the new vacuum I bought. <laughs> the instructions are not really instructions. They're just sort of pictures. Have we isolated the variable of these two scenarios? <laughs> so, Ouch, I believe so, that was a shot. Anyway, uh, I'm, I'm moving slowly on assembling this. Positive, Sean, your final thought. Yeah, I was uh, very moved from uh, the, the outpouring of community support that, that happened around the Notre Dame Cathedral burning yesterday. I spent easily 30 minutes looking at various Twitter videos of just the singing that kind of happened around it. And it, it reminded me of the, the book tribe that we talk about so often on this show, about how these things bring communities together mm-hmm. in a way that it's, it makes sense, but it's tough to predict. Jack, do you have a final thought you'd like to share? I'm getting some stitches taken out today, and it's a good thing, because last night, and this keeps happening, last night my seven-year-old looked my way and he said, Oh my God, 
I just saw Dan Stitches. Oh, boy. Oh, God. Wow. Hey. Wow. Frankenstein over here. Uh, my final thought uh, as co-host is that uh, somebody named Bill Weld, who is the mayor, the governor of, I don't know, Maryland or Delaware or somewhere, has launched a, a long-shot Republican primary bid against Donald Trump. He'll get as much time on MSNBC as he wants. He can get his own show today if he wants. Right. Bill Weld. Armstrong and Getty running, uh, wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. See you tomorrow. God bless America. This is a historic act uh, of uh, devastating incompetence. I will not sugarcoat this. This is a disappointing day for us. Big mistake, but not too bad. The fun level in this room is at an 11 right now, and that brought it down. The ride is over. The time for the clowns and the acrobats and the dancing bears has passed. Get away from here. Get. Get. And we apologize for our stupidity, and we really hope you forgive us for what we've done. Thank you, and good night. Because the show's over. What? Bye-bye. Sure, may your testicles stay intact. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. you. And That's a the good sign-off. Armstrong and Getty.